Hi, everyone. This is Connor Gilsonen, and you're listening to the All Things Auth podcast. On this show, I talk to creators, researchers, founders, and advocates who are moving the ball forward on usable security and privacy. We discuss how they got to where they are today and what they're currently working on. Who are they trying to help and what keeps them motivated to overcome challenges along the way? The goal, as always, is for the rest of us to learn from their experiences and go on to promote usable security and privacy within our own projects and organizations. Joining me today is Pilar Garcia, official ex-sorcerer at 1Password, a popular commercial password manager. I got to meet Pilar in person at the Symposium on Usable Privacy and Security earlier this year, where she gave a great talk about the challenges of account recovery at 1Password. Pilar, welcome to the show, and thanks so much for taking the time to come on as a guest and chat about 1Password. Thank you for having me, Kenner. The very first thing that pops into my mind is the role name that you have of ex-sorcerer. And for people who might not have the background context to understand the really fun title that you've created for yourself, can you tell us a little bit about what it is you do at 1Password? And for the folks who are not yet familiar with 1Password, give us a little overview of what 1Password is all about. Of course. I'm on the security team at 1Password. I focus in particular in privacy, verification, authentication topics. And the title comes from a play of words. Some people say that cryptography is exoring everything with everything. So I took that and made it about something fun like a sorcerer. One password is a password manager. It creates, stores, and fields passwords for you. That's the very short explanation of what it is. Everything in 1Password is encrypted with keys that we do not have, so it's perfectly safe, and it allows you to have a unique random password for every single account you ever create. Basically, the two things that you need to do to be secure online is random passwords and unique passwords. Mm -hmm. First of all, talking about random passwords, humans are not good at randomness. You might think that you have a very clever solution that you take this sentence and that you remove these things and that you change the O's by zeros and things like that. That's not random. You might think you're very random because you just tap on your keyboard and things come at random. There's been studies that show that even those come with a pattern. So we let a computer with cryptographically secure random number generator create those passwords for you. And that means that nobody will be able to get them. It doesn't matter how well they know you, they're unguessable. But that's not enough. Even if you do everything right and create passwords that are 25 character longs and totally random, sometimes sites will have breaches. If a site has a breach, then you want to be sure that only your password for fun forum was breached and not the one for your Facebook, email, and every other bank account. So that's where uniqueness comes from. Most people will have maybe a hundred accounts by now. That's a pretty normal thing in the modern world. 
Nobody can remember a hundred passwords and definitely nobody can remember a hundred random passwords. So that's no where chance. one password comes in. Yeah, that's a great overview. And you know, I've, I've been using a password manager myself for many, many years and there's no need for me to even keep count of how many passwords I have in there because as you said, it, it handles creating passwords for me, but the other usability benefit of password managers is that I don't have to remember any of them. And I think last count I had hundreds and hundreds of accounts, but anytime I sign up for a new service, instead of needing to think about a new password to create and making sure it's strong and unique, like you just pointed out, the password manager takes care of that for me. That's a great overview of password managers. And I'm wondering if there are certain scenarios you can talk to where a password manager might not be the best choice for somebody. Are there any scenarios where you think that is true? And you talk a little bit about some of the different groups of people and their experiences where they might have an easier time adopting a password manager than others? A password manager will definitely be the better choice for almost everyone. It doesn't only make you feel more secure, it also makes your life easier. So to come up with a scenario, you're an older person and you're having trouble with memory stuff, a password manager means that you don't have to remember all those passwords. It means that you just have one in your memory and you click buttons, which is a lot easier. The only situation in which a commercial password manager might not be the best for you is if you are a very high target for like governments. Mm. In that case, your threat model is a little bit different. You still want to make sure you're keeping your things secure, but it might make your life a little bit more complicated. If you're already in that situation, you probably already know that you have to take a lot more measures about it. But other mm. than that, it's great. Um, in particular, with 1Password, you can share some of the passwords with other people in your account. So it's great to use it with your family uh, if you want to put your Netflix password there so your partner and your kid can use it too, you can do that. It's great to use it in a job environment. There is no downside there. And again, even for companies that use systems like single sign-on, not every account will be connected to the single sign-on. So for all those that mm -hmm. aren't, you still need a password manager. You still need one password. And lastly, when you do need to share some of those passwords, it will make it a lot easier and it will make it so that nobody is trying to email them. It will make sure that all your passwords are strong so you don't end up with passwords like winter 2018, which I know it sounds like a joke, but there are studies that show that that's a very common password. I mean, that might even be slightly better than some of the most common passwords like password or <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six. I think, you know, at the end of the day, it boils down to what you highlighted before that humans are inherently bad at creating passwords that meet this criteria of being strong and unique for every website. And so a password manager really can help most people. And usability of any software 
is important, especially when you're considering lots of groups of different types of people with different backgrounds and experiences. I know 1Password pays particular attention to the user experience. So I'm looking forward to diving into some of the user experience that 1Password has tackled and of course the technology. But before we get to that, I would like to dig a little bit more into your role at 1Password to understand some of the things that you focus on specifically. And also, it's really interesting to hear the background story a little bit of all the people in the community who are working on the security and privacy technologies. And I'm curious what you were working on previously and how you ended up um, coming to work at 1Password. How'd you get started in security? Okay, so this is a pretty funny story, I think. Before 1Password, I was a logic and mathematics master's student. I've always been interested in privacy. I am that weird person that actually read every single word of Facebook's privacy policy several years ago. So when things became news a year or two ago, I was like, well, yeah. It was there in plain text. It's a small example, but it shows you a mindset that I've always had. Mm -hmm. So I was a master's student. I was living in Barcelona. I was doing logic. That means I was taking classes on computability, complexity. All that is very closely related to cryptography. So I had a pretty big interest in that. And my partner was already working at 1Password. He was working in documentation in particular. And I went with him just as his plus one to the yearly company gathering because it sounded like a pretty fun way to take a break from my crazy math classes. And somebody asked me what people always ask master students. So what is your master thesis on? What are you working on? And I taught them modal logic. Nobody knows what that is. So everyone always says, oh, and then changes the topic. But Jeff Goldberg, who is the chief defender against the dark arts at 1Password, in other words, the security lead, and he's been with 1Password from about day two or so from the beginning, heard that. And it turns out he actually knows what modal logic is. And he got really happy to find someone else who could talk about those crazy things with him. That's um, so great. Yeah, we spent a lot of time talking. I realized for the first time that this looked like a place for me when I was done with my master's because I had made my mind that I did not want to continue with academia, at least not immediately. Mm -hmm. So as soon as I was able to take a break or a breath from the master's, I applied to work here. Uh, while I was finishing my classes, I did a little bit of customer support, which I think it made me understand customers and customers' needs a lot better. And then the day after I presented my thesis, I talked to Jeff and told him, hey, now I'm ready to be on the security team. And you mentioned that you started by helping out with some of the support issues. And um, I'm so excited to hear that, you know, I've worked for 
a lot of companies in the past and I worked for a startup where a lot of the engineering team, in fact, the entire engineering team and almost everyone at the company for a time was helping with support intentionally. And it really gave us an appreciation for how our product was being used by our customers, what was working, what wasn't working, and really having that empathy for people using the software we were building all day. It sounds like maybe you had a similar experience helping with support at 1Password. Is that something that uh, other people at the company have the opportunity to do as well? Oh yeah, and actually, let me tell you, that's still something that almost every single person at 1Password to this day does a little bit or a lot depending on the roles of customer support. If you write into us, it depends on what the issue is. We have a dedicated CS team, of course, they handle the bulk of the, of the things, but our developers spend a little bit of time every single week making sure they communicate with customers that need help. They make sure to understand what the issues are. Everyone at the security team does the same. For example, in my case, if someone ever writes in because they're concerned that their account might be compromised, I do the talking. I investigate and help them look into the logs and check if their fear has anything about it or if it doesn't, which is basically always the case, understand why things looked odd for them. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, even if it's something very uh, targeted to what you know, we all still do that communicated with customers. And that includes up to the founders. That's great. I definitely see value in it. And I I wish more companies did and more people in non-specific customer success roles would uh, have the opportunity and the bandwidth to do that. I think it really helps to provide that empathy. At some point you shifted into your current role and you mentioned that you're on the security team now and that brings back to mind some of the exciting things for me about 1Password. I'd love to dive a little more into the technology. You were talking about how 1Password has the ability to create these unique and strong passwords for everyone and people who are not familiar with a password manager typically will ask me or have a concern about, are the passwords really safe? How does it work? Are they stored on my computer? Are they stored elsewhere? Can you talk a little bit about 1Password's security architecture in this context? And I know that 1Password has a particularly unique architecture compared to many other password managers that exist out there. Of course. Just so everybody knows, We believe in being very open and very transparent. If anybody wants to read all the details about our architecture, you can find it documented in our security white paper. So for anyone who wants to read a lot of crypto math, you can go ahead and do so. I will give a bit of a higher level explanation of how it is. One password as it currently works is a hosted service. In very few words, it works better for everyone. One password has been around for, I think about 12 years now. And it's only been a few years since we moved into the hosted service. When that move happened, there was one thing that we wanted to be completely confident about. First of all, we do not ever want 
to have access to anyone's data. We don't want to know what your passwords are in any way. And the other thing was, we are well aware that it would make our servers a pretty interesting target for hackers. Mm -hmm. So how do we make sure that even in the worst case scenario that our servers got breached, the attacker would not be able to get absolutely anything useful out of it. Mm -hmm. The first part is pretty straightforward. All one-password data is end-to-end encrypted. The keys are generated locally in your device and they are absolutely never sent to us. To protect your data, you have what we call your master password, which is the password that you create when you create the account. It's something that you choose. We suggest that the master password is generated randomly and it's of the word list kind. So for anyone who's familiar with XKCD, the horse batter staple kind, because that is easy enough to remember, but there is no way that anyone that knows you will guess it because it was generated at random. That is the part that everyone has, the master password, but we went further. We know that it doesn't matter how hard we ask people to create good passwords, some of them wouldn't. And we didn't want people even with weak passwords to be exposed. So we created Mm. the concept that we called a secret key. A secret key is a secret of 128 bits of entropy. It's also generated locally on the device and it's never sent to us either. It is combined with your master password to create the encryption keys. So even mm-hmm. if someone were ever able to figure out what your master password is, they would still need that second secret that is unguessable to be able to get any data out of it. Yeah, this architecture with the master password and the secret key is really interesting. And one of the reasons I'm really excited about the security architecture of 1Password to summarize and make sure I'm on the same page, if someone were able to get into the 1Password servers, they wouldn't be able to do anything with the encrypted data that's there because they not only would need the master password, but they would also need this secret key in order to perform the decryption of the password vault, for example. And the secret key is only maintained on my personal devices. So if I have one password on my phone and my laptop, the secret key would be in those locations. But because one password never sees it, it really provides this really strong extra layer of security. Exactly. That secret key and that master password, they are absolutely never sent to us. There is a downside to that, and that is that if you lose either of them, we cannot recover it for you. So you need to be very sure you don't lose them. You provided some really great information about this challenge at your talk at Soups this year. And I'm wondering if you can recap a little bit of that for everyone listening now and talk through the common scenarios where someone might be installing one password on their phone, they're walking home and they drop their phone and it breaks. What do they do in that scenario? What are the options and how might one password be able to help or not help? Okay. So first of all, there are 
two different scenarios here. First of all, I would like to tell you there are a couple different ways that you can use 1Password. You can use it just only by yourself. You can use it with your family, with a small team, or in a business kind of organization. If you are using it with other people and you make sure that you set more than one person as an owner or an admin, then that other person can recover your account for you. Just so we're completely clear, this means that we at AgileBits still do not have access to your keys. You are not mm -hmm. trusting us for that recovery. You are trusting either your IT team at your company, or if you're using it with your partner, you're trusting your partner. The way that it works is, let's assume that that happened to you. You were only using one password in your phone and things didn't sync. So you forgot your master password. You've typed it a hundred times, but now you just forgot it. If you're using one password, mm -hmm. uh, for example, with your partner and that person is an admin as well, they can initiate account recovery. You get an email that account recovery has been initiated and you have to complete that. So you still need to have access to your email to be able to recover your account. And you will be able to generate a new master password and a new secret key. That other person or team of people who are able to do account recovery never have access to your master password or your secret key. You recover the actual encryption keys and you generate a brand new master password and secret key. So that yeah. is one of the scenarios. If you forget your master password and you're using one password on your own or you have a team of four people and you decided you only trust yourself and you're the only admin, that's it. There is nothing anybody can do. The other one that I mentioned back at Soups was related to two-factor authentication. 1Password allows you to turn on two-factor authentication. It's a little bit of an odd concept here because 1Password is based on encryption and not so much on authentication, but there is still an, a point of authentication when you are setting up a new device. You need to authenticate to the server and convince the server to send you the data, the encrypted data. So you set up two-factor authentication and that is where we've seen a bit of trouble. We have a lot of suggestions to help people not get locked out. Mm -hmm. So the first is the easy one. If you're using 1Password with someone else and there is another admin, they can do account recovery and we have designed account recovery in a way that will also turn up to factor authentication for you. So you will have to create a new secret key, you will have to create or use the same master password, but 2FA will be turned off. Hmm. But what happens in the case that you're using it by yourself? We suggest that you make sure to have a backup authenticator app. You can even use 1Password as your backup authenticator app. We are making sure that you can turn off two-factor authentication from all the client apps. 
there is a setup code that is used to set up 2FA and we suggest that you store it in something that we call your emergency kit that we can get to in a little bit. Mm -hmm. But even when we suggest all of these things, there will be and there are people who end up in really interesting situations like I only ever use one password in my phone and that phone isn't working anymore. So I have no other way to turn 2FA off. Something mm -hmm. that we see even more often is someone lost their phone, they lost their authenticator app, and they realize when they try to install one password again that they need 2FA and they can't. And they say, hey, okay, whatever, I will use it on my computer. And then they have it, for example, on their browser extension and on their browser itself, on the web app. Then something else happens and they have to reinstall from scratch their browser. And now they're in a situation in which even if originally they had three apps with one password, they're out with zero and they need to do something about it. So this is where we had to decide what we were going to do when we decided we were indeed going to offer 2FA. The easy answer for us would have been to say, you lost your authenticator, you said you wanted the security off, without this authenticator, nobody will be able to get into my account. I'm sorry, that means you, that's it, game over. But that wasn't, that wasn't very good for anyone, especially because there's already two things that you can lose that are really game over. So we ended up deciding that given that from a technical point of view, we can do something about it, we were going to. The way that we approached this issue was in order for us to turn two-factor authentication off for you, we ask a series of questions about your account and you need to write into us from the same email address that you've registered with 1Password. We need you to show control of the right email address and also enough knowledge of the 1Password account before we were able to turn off two-factor authentication for you. And what are some of those sources of knowledge that you might ask for? So this was a little bit more tricky than you would guess because 1Password is private by design. And this is not just a tagline that we use for marketing. That means that we go through great lengths to keep the information that we know about you to the bare minimum. And that also means that there is not that much that we can ask because there's not that much that we know about our customers to begin with, because that's our philosophy. That's how we build one password. And normally this is a great thing, right? But in this yeah. specific context of having two-factor and having an issue with it and needing to disable it, there's only so much knowledge that you have to rely on. Yeah. So some of the questions are, for example, related to how you're paying for one password. That is information that I think makes sense that we will have. And it's also information that you should be able to know and if not, at least figure out, check in your bank statement or something like that. So 
a few questions are related to that and there are also questions about for example when the account was created things like that and if all of these uh, questions are answered then it sounds like you would be able to disable two-factor authentication for that account yes you know i've talked a lot about two-factor authentication on the show before and it's it's my area of particular interest and i'm sure that people may be having the question right now about you know disabling two-factor on the account this sounds like a really dangerous thing and knowledge-based questions aren't very strong so just to reiterate what you had said before the one password security architecture is based on encryption and end-to-end encryption and the one password servers never see the master password and never see the secret key what they do see is the encrypted vault, right? Yes. And so in this scenario where we're talking about two-factor authentication, the two-factor authentication comes into play when someone makes a request to the 1Password server asking for the encrypted vault data. If the two-factor authentication is enabled, then you'll have to satisfy the two-factor authentication before the 1Password server would release the encrypted vault to you. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, the point where you are requested for your two-factor authentication token, you have already shown that you have both a secret key and a master password. Mm. So by the point that the 2FA is relevant, you already need to have the encryption secrets. I see. And so in order to make that initial request to the 1Password server, you would basically need to prove that you're on one of your trusted devices where that secret key is present and you've already entered your master password as well. Yes. Got it. So definitely many layers of security here. It seems like the fundamental foundation for 1Password is certainly the end-to-end cryptography and two-factor authentication is something that you can layer on as an additional layer. Yeah. In an encryption-based system like 1Password, two-factor authentication is kind of the cherry on top of the cake. You still want to have the cake and you can still have it without that one cherry. Definitely. Circling back to one thing you mentioned before we kind of dove into the technical meat here is that 1Password does have a white paper where they outline all of this detail. and. One of the things that really struck me when I sat down and read the white paper is how approachable it is. I have a background in security, but even still, there's a lot of content in the white paper that is really well presented, um, communicated in a straightforward way, and even just the character, the feel, and the approach of the white paper where it has like these little stories to give concrete examples of a topic or an architecture that was just discussed, it really stood out to me as something that 1Password really paid particular attention to and gave a lot of thought and detail and iteration on, which I certainly appreciate as a security professional. Thank you very much. Most of the white paper is thanks to Jeff Goldberg that I mentioned before. And as a fun fact for anyone who wants to look at it, the characters in the white paper, in the little stories that you mentioned, are Jeff's dogs. 
So he did that. I think it's a really sweet thing because that way absolutely nobody feels singled out. It's all his doggies. Well, kudos to Jeff for getting that together. One particular thing I wanted to highlight relevant to our discussion right now is something we've hit on a couple of times is that the foundation of 1Password is cryptography and end-to-end encryption. And the 1Password white paper highlights some key principles that guide the entire philosophy and design of the system. One of them is trust the math that mathematics is more trustworthy than people or software, so when you can rely on it, you want to. We've certainly talked about how 1Password is doing that in many of those scenarios for protecting passwords. Another thing that the white paper mentions is privacy by design. You had really made that point, especially in the situation where someone might be uh, needing when wanting to disable two-factor is that you don't really have that much knowledge about the user intentionally. And so I think that's a great example of not only writing something in your white paper, but it's actually in practice in the system as well. Yes. Another thing is that the white paper highlights openness as a principle. It says, be open and explicit about the security design of our systems so that others may scrutinize our decisions. I think that's great as well. And a lot of the details you're sharing with us today, if people want to learn, like you said, a lot more about the cryptography and the decisions and the architecture, the white paper is a great place to learn more about it. One of the last principles I want to highlight is that principle that says people are part of the system. And if the security of a system depends on people's behavior, the system must be designed with an understanding of how people behave. That kind of brings us to this discussion about the user experience in 1Password and the particular functionality and design and approach. Can you speak to some of the effort and focus on some of the particular features or other aspects that you think really provide to that usability? In general, you're completely correct. The idea is if something is very, very secure, but it is not possible for a given person to use it easily, than they want. So then it's as good as not having anything. That's a good question. Where to even start? 1Password has integration with biometrics with any device that will allow it. And we have 1Password X, the new 1Password extension. When you go to a new site, you can see 1Password's logo and it will suggest to you what login to use there. So it makes it so easy that you just need to do one single click and that's it. And that is something that we are always looking forward to. That is what takes us to places like Soups because every single choice you have to decide. Do I want to keep the most, 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 most secure thing possible? Or do I want to sacrifice a tiny bit of that in order to make it a lot easier to use and every time this question arises there are very in-depth long conversations within the team to find what the right answer is yeah there's so much to dig into right i think watchtower has a lot of really great features watchtower makes it a lot easier for you to know if any site that you're using has been known to have a bridge we keep a list of sites 
that have publicly said that they have had a breach and we will give you a banner telling you this site had a breach on this date and the password that you have saved here is from before that so we suggest you change it mm -hmm. but a few months ago we went even further than that we integrated with the service called have i been owned by troy hunt troy hunt has a service where he has collected humongous lists of breach accounts and passwords mm -hmm. we did not want to just send you a password to have i been owned that wouldn't be good for anyone but the list is way too big for it to be sent to your computer so the way it works is the password is hashed and only the first few characters of that hash are sent to the server and then the server sends all the passwords that match those first few characters and one password finishes comparing locally mm -hmm. so if you see that the password has ever been found in a bridge it means you have to change it um, if you were not using a randomly generated password, there is a chance that it was not your password. Maybe someone else thought that password green23 was a pretty good password to use, but you still need to change it. You still need to change it because while good people like Troy Hunt uses this kind of lists to help you stay secure, people who want to get into your accounts will use those lists of passwords to do brute force attacks, uh, basically to try and bomb a service with all the passwords they have on the list. You talked about how the password would be hashed and the password would never be sent to the server. In order to accomplish that, Troy Hunt's Have I Been Pwned project uses an approach called K-anonymity. And for people who are interested in learning more about how the API is designed, to achieve this property of k-anonymity, we'll include in the show notes a link to some good resources explaining how that whole system works. The API is publicly documented and available for people to inspect and use themselves. And I believe that's the same API that 1Password is using. Is that right? Yeah. Pretty soon after Troy Hunt announced that API, we had a proof of concept of how we could integrate with it. And then we took that proof of concept and put it into the actual releases. Nice. Okay. Yeah, it's exciting to move quickly. And in fact, that's jogging my memory. I think Troy tweeted about the 1Password team announcing their prototype. It was like within a day or two yeah. days or something <laughs> super quick. So it's always exciting to see adoption of these helpful technologies really quickly. Yeah, a couple of our developers didn't exactly sleep that night just because they were very excited. No, not other, no other reason, but it was pretty cool. It was, we had uh, the proof of concept out in about 24 hours. Wow. Yeah. Well, big thanks to those specific developers who worked on that. And a thanks to Troy for making the API available. The average internet users at home who don't know about these specific technologies, but are benefiting from these features in Watchtower, it's just really helpful to be able to know if your passwords are impacted in some way and what specific action you can take to make sure your account is more secure and understand when you should change your password. Yeah. And another feature of Watchtower is it will let you know if one of the accounts you have 
has two-factor authentication available or not. And even better, you can use 1Password as your authenticator app. So the example would be, instead of relying on Google Authenticator on your mobile device, for example, you could use 1Password as your authenticator to generate a two-factor authentication code, or you could use them together. And you could have 1Password be your backup in case you ever lost your phone. Exactly. That is definitely a handy feature. And uh, this feature of Watchtower, where not only can it act as your authenticator, it also, I believe, will use data from twofactorauth.org in order to proactively let you know if you have an account uh, saved in 1Password that is on a service that supports two-factor authentication and kind of prompt you and nudge you towards enabling that two-factor authentication for that account. Yes, that's exactly right. A couple of the things that Watchtower will help you with is if you have any passwords that are the same for two accounts, if you remember, one of the points we mentioned was you should not use the same password for more than one account. So mm -hmm. Watchtower will let you know if you have duplicated passwords. And 1Password will also let you know if you have any weak passwords. So if it detects that you have password 1-2, probably it will let you know that it's been found in a bridge. But it will also let you know that it is way too short and not random. So you mm -hmm. might want to go and change it for something a little bit more sturdy. Yep, that definitely makes a lot of sense. And getting that little audit report can be really helpful. I mean, as you mentioned, people have dozens and hundreds of accounts. So to do that individually is really hard. But because 1Password locally on my device knows what my passwords are, it can do some useful analysis locally on my device and try to help me improve those passwords over time. Yeah, and all this also means that you can forget with the notion of periodically changing your passwords. If you're using something like a password manager, all your passwords are different or unique, generated at random, and you have a service that will let you know if that specific password was compromised, there is no reason or no need to change your passwords every 30 days or whatever policy you have. Um, I think that's a good point to highlight. And, you know, historically, people have followed a practice of rotating passwords periodically, mm -hmm. but that has, um, you know... Fallen out of favor. <laughs> fallen out of favor. That's a perfect way of saying it, right? There's been a lot of research to show that changing a password on a regular basis doesn't actually provide additional security because even though you are addressing the scenario where that password might have been compromised and you're not aware of it, users typically will change the password in a very straightforward and predictable way yeah. that the password is still guessable. And so having a strong, unique password that's totally random generated by a password manager certainly is the ideal state. Yeah it will get you a lot farther than trying to change your password just by adding, by upping the last number by one, like most people who change their passwords periodically do. And I mm. have a feeling there will be a little bit of nodding from people listening when I said that. Yep. 
And I know that NIST, the National Institute for Standards and Technology, I think mm-hmm. if I got the acronym right, they have some really useful, specific guidance on passwords in their special publication. And we'll include a link to that in the show notes for anyone who's interested in learning more about the current best practice for password storage and password rotation and things like that. So we've talked a couple times about how uh, we got the chance to chat in person at this symposium on usable privacy and security at Soups. There was some interesting research presented at Soups this year, in addition to a bunch of research that has happened over the last couple of years into password managers, specifically trying to understand not only the security benefits of password managers and whether people understand what those benefits are, but trying to get a better understanding of how people are using password managers, what challenges they're encountering, and providing suggestions on how to make password managers more approachable for average internet users. Is there any user research that 1Password has the opportunity to do internally? If there is, I'd love to hear about it. And also, how does 1Password interact with the academic community and potentially capitalize on some of this usability research for password managers? Going back to the 1Password is private by design. It means that we Mm -hmm. don't collect information of how each person is using 1Password which means that we have very little to go when it comes to user testing. Um, Mm -hmm. The one thing that I can share with you, and this comes more from customer support interactions and a formal test, is that people tend to have a little bit of trouble at the very beginning, uh, Mm -hmm. setting up the account and setting up 1Password in all their devices. Once that makes sense, and they have passwords for a couple sites, the ball keeps on rolling and it feels a lot easier, but the pain point tends to be the setup process. And yeah, we're definitely looking into it. We're always asking for feedback, looking for suggestions, trying new things, asking our customers how the new thing feels like. But all Mm -hmm. of this has to be 100% opt-in whenever someone wants to share that feedback. The privacy by design thing is really good, but it does mean that when it comes to understanding some things like that, we're a little bit blind, but that's a price that we're willing to pay. Certainly getting those analytics that a conventional SaaS product or any software product might have, sending telemetry and data back to a server where it could be analyzed and you can do some useful things there. But as you pointed out, the the principle that 1Password has of privacy by design really limits the data that 1Password has and intentionally so. So yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Um, has there ever been any discussions internally about running some focus groups or user studies in person? and? Certainly that would be a a different approach and not as scalable, but might reveal some interesting learnings for how people interact with 1Password. Yeah, we've done a little bit of that and we do have plans to keep on doing so. Okay, great. 
I know one of the conversations that was happening at Soups this year was for researchers reaching out to these companies they're researching, whether it's password managers in this specific instance or certificate authorities or email vendors or whoever, and making sure they're aware of their findings and their suggestions. Has 1Password received a lot of feedback from people who have looked into password manager usability? The security team from 1Password always goes to soups and other academic-focused kind of conferences so we can learn from what is going on there. Mm. So we get a lot from there. We Often enough, we have articles from soups from the past N years checking out what they're suggesting about this or what they're suggesting about that. Every now and then, we've seen the academia world that gets in touch with us. For example, a few years ago, there was a university that looked into password managers in Android. And they got in touch with us with a few either findings or some of them are just basically a philosophy thing, uh, going back to the usability versus security. But it was really Mm -hmm. nice working alongside with them, uh, figuring out what their findings were about and how we can deal with them, or if they were a design choice and we were standing behind our design choice. One of the other things that pops into my mind when it comes to password managers in general is a similar thought about most software is that some software is open source and some software is proprietary or closed source. And we've talked a lot about the white paper from 1Password and the transparency about how the system is architected and how the cryptography is working and the design decisions. But I know that there's a group of people out there who are diehard fans of open source software. Some people take it even as far as to say they won't use any software that isn't open source. Is there a message that 1Password has for people who are asking themselves the question about whether they can trust that the 1Password software is actually working in the way that it's intended? And how do they know that it's safe? Are there certain things that 1Password shares outside of the white paper that can help people understand that 1Password is secure? Yes. I completely understand the open source question. The main reason why 1Password isn't open source is intellectual property. And if you go to the App Store, you will find copycats. We cannot make it that easy for copies to come up. But we take very seriously the openness thing. One of the main reasons why the white paper is so in-depth is because we want to share that message to say, yes, we cannot make it fully open source, but we can document our security architecture in as much detail as possible. Mm -hmm. We have also made a point to not obfuscate our code. So we are perfectly happy and inviting to anyone who has a debugger, anyone who feels like decompiling it, to poke at it, to look at it, look at the network and look that it's not sending stuff that it shouldn't. Basically, try to break it. 
and mm -hmm. we're so open about it that we have a pretty huge bounty in our bounty program with Bob Crowd. Oh, okay. What what is involved in the bug bounty? I was not familiar with that. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we've had a, a bug bounty program with Bugcrowd for years now. All of the client apps and the server are in scope and therefore security issues. That's what that bug bounty in particular is about. Mm -hmm. um, as most bug bounties go, we have a tiered system, so depending whether it's on scope or not and what we do and by we i mean not only one password but one password with bug crowd determines to be the severity and the ultimate thing that we have is a capture the flag there is a specific account for researchers with something called bad poetry if someone <laughs> is ever able to get that bad poetry in plain text, they will get $100,000. But mm -hmm. we really, really want to encourage people to look into one password, to poke at it, to decompile it, to look at the network traffic, to try to break it. And we're also very happy to work with you. We've actually done that before. A researcher will get in touch with us and say, I did this and that. And I think something and we'll get back to them and we'll say, okay, so let's see, let me tweak some things in that account and see if you can do things, if you can break it that way. And we keep on working with them. We don't ever want researchers to feel like they have to hide or to be scared of one password. No, mm -hmm. everyone who wants to, please look at it, please try to break it. And if you get anything let us know and you might get a small or a big or a medium-sized uh, amount of money out of it i think that's that's a great stance to to be open and, and welcome feedback and criticism and have people try to break it and responsibly disclose something if they do find it what is the way for someone to responsibly disclose if they should find something in the future should they go through the bug bounty program yes the best way Got is it. through the bug bounty program. And that is a great way, not only for us, it also protects them. Mm -hmm. If they're disclosing through the bug bounty program, there is an impartial third party keeping everyone accountable for it, which we think it's the right thing to do. So for anyone out there who wants to learn more about 1Password, they can check out the white paper. And if you really want to make sure it's doing what it says it's doing you can decompile it you can poke at it you could use wireshark to look at the traffic going over the network and one password is really excited for you to do that and really stands by their transparency as much as they can so pilar in in closing up here i always like to ask guests if they can summarize in their own words how the project or the company they're working at is moving the ball forward for usable security and privacy. How would you summarize that for 1Password? At 1Password, we're always keeping on with whatever is new out there. If there is an Apple event, we'll sit through it and we'll try to find out if there's anything that was announced that can be applied to 1Password as you 
my guests, uh, when they announced Face ID, for example, we were one of the first ones to have it available. And that is still very much our philosophy. But I cannot talk about our roadmap. Um, as a company philosophy, we do not speak about what we want or would like to do. We like to do it, do it the best we can. And once we have confidence that we've done a good work, we release it. But we don't talk about it in advance. As a developer myself for many, many years, I have certainly been in the situation where there was an external pressure to release a feature when it wasn't ready or to work on something new instead of refining something we had released, understanding it needed some more work. And so, you know, as a developer, I can certainly appreciate the stance of wanting to release something when it's finished and solid and you feel really confident in it. And especially given the context of 1Password as a security tool, that definitely makes some sense too. I'm sure there are other people in the audience who have had similar experiences and can appreciate the benefit of releasing something when it's ready. Thank you. Before we uh, sign off, is there anywhere that is best for people to get in touch with 1Password or with you particularly if they had follow-up questions or just wanted to get in touch? If anyone wants to get in touch with us at 1Password, they can just write in at support at onepassword.com. If there's anything related to me, you can always just say my name. The company is not that big that they wouldn't know how to toss it my way. And if you have questions about 1Password, about security or about any other topics, just send it our way and the right person will answer it for you. If your question is technical enough, you might end up with a developer giving you the answer. Fantastic. And we'll make sure to include all that in the show notes as well so that folks have one place to go and understand how to get in touch. That sounds great. Pilar, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing all of your knowledge about 1Password. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you very much for having me. I had a great time as well. You can find the show notes for today's episode by heading to allthingsoff.com slash podcast. If you enjoyed listening to this conversation and you'd like to support the show, I would really appreciate a rating or a review in iTunes. I personally read all of the reviews over there, and they really help others to discover the show. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for the next new episode in two weeks.